I like this idea of like, could I could I steal man, God, and give a new definition that still works for me for now? And that is like, if I could personify my family's best interests over the course of my lifetime, that's the God that I will serve. I guess it's still using the word God and it's still like dictating my behavior in relationship to some sort of personified being, but it's way more than that. Mm -hmm. So I feel like I had to do that in order to not feel disoriented and lost anymore. All right. Welcome, everybody. We have a guest today, Uber Mormon. Tell people about your channel and tell them about yourself. So uh, as the name kind of indicates, Uber Mormon is like super, super influenced and it's Nietzsche, right? Like uh, the Uber mensch. I thought, yeah, I was pretty Mormon, but it's also kind of like a dual meaning because when I was Mormon, I was uber Mormon. So I thought it was a good kind of melding of both worlds um, in the in the sense that Nietzsche used like the Ubermensch. He thought like we have to overcome mankind and become the Ubermensch. And so I feel like it was like a nice nod to me, like becoming a post Mormon and like in every sense of the word, like I still have all of that Mormonism inside of me. And now it's just I'm being something beyond that, if that makes sense, in the best way that I know how to be. So I thought that it was a good name. And then as as for like my content, uh, it's as crazy as you just heard, like the last 30 seconds of me rambling, like it's all over the place. It's just <laughs> like, like one thought after the next thought after the next thought, and then it's a video. But it's just kind of like, I was taking a developmental psychology class and I like, like Eric Erickson in particular, like really struck a chord with me. And I thought like this happens in Mormonism just in a different way. And so I, I just started like grabbing thinkers and grabbing my Mormon experience and just kind of like smushing them together. And then that's a video. And so uh, whenever I think of a new topic, I do it. And then, I mean, I'm not good at uploading things consistently but i just do it as it comes into my brain yeah they're, they're nice and short i really like that and they're very well produced too like you do a really good job with the video and the editing and stuff That's... thank you thank so. you i yeah i used to be before my current job i was working in like i was making ads i was making video ads and so i had all this equipment and i had all this knowledge and it was so fun like I've been making videos since I was a senior in high school and then I got a different job and I wasn't making videos anymore. And I thought, how can I put all this equipment and all this like knowledge to use somehow? And so I thought, why not film me talk about stuff? Yeah. So do you feel like there's a difference between, I mean, I mean, there's so many different types of content out there in this world. Yes, <laughs> what, what, what is like, I guess what's the mission of yours? What's your goals with your content? Is it just um, your, is it like a, uh, what, do they, what do people call it? A creative outlet for you? Or is it like, do you hope it can be helpful to people in what way? Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. It makes perfect sense. Um, it's mostly an outlet for me. Um, 
like I said, I was taking these developmental psychology classes and just thinking like, it's pretty cool that I get to learn all this stuff and have my ex-Mormon Mormon background, whatever you want to call it. And I thought, uh, I thought that it could be useful for other people. So it, it's a little bit of both. At the end of the day, I mean, what are my goals for it? I don't, I'll stop making content as soon as I stop coming up with ideas. Um, I just, I like you, I just have too many ideas. I'll, I have a list. I have a long list of things that I would like to one day talk about. And, uh, and then I, I have other things that like become more urgent all of a sudden in my mind, like this is what has to be done now and everything else gets put on the back burner. And so, I mean, I don't have any big goals for it. I, I've never, I've never told anyone that I do it and I don't plan to, I just want to talk about, I just, okay, <laughs> I'm rambling, <laughs> but here we go. Um, I learned about James Fowler, like right after I left or it, when I decided that I was ready to leave the church. Okay. Like, so for, for anybody that doesn't know who that is, he came up with the stages of faith and he wrote a book yeah. about it. That's about all I yes. know. Yeah. So my leaving the church process took me from like 2000 and very late 2017 into like 2020. All of that was like me not sure if I'm ready to leave the church. It was a long time. But that was like a question in your mind? Like that was something you were trying to figure out? Or yeah, if what? I should leave the church. Okay. So I, I'll back up even more to add context because really James Fowler is the crux of my channel. <laughs> <laughs> James Fowler is the reason that I decided to start a channel. So uh, my wife and I were high school sweethearts. I went on a mission. Uh, I came home from my mission. She had tried to give the church a chance didn't feel like it was a the way that she should live her life. And so we were, I got home and it was kind of this weird thing of like, well, I'm clearly very Mormon or Uber Mormon, as some would say. And she was, she had tried it and was ready to be done. And so I tried to date around. I tried to meet other people and whatever and date a nice Mormon girl, but I couldn't. And so we got married in January of 2018. And that whole process was very eye-opening for me, like seeing the way that people started to treat me as I was going to date a non-member essentially and marry a non-member. And then um, we got married and then we stopped going to church. And I kept expecting to feel bad about not going to church. And I kept expecting to feel bad every time I did something that I was raised not to do. And the guilt never came. Hmm. And and then, I mean, obviously I had like the existential thing that happened where it was like, what's going to happen to me after I die? Like, is any of this real? And that's really what my faith crisis was or like what yeah. triggered all of it. But for the most part, it was like this long, way too long process of like, okay, I don't feel bad for any of this, but one day maybe I will. And so maybe I need to like keep all this stuff in the back of my mind. And it took like two years. I, so I learned about James Fowler and I was like, why isn't anybody else talking about this? Like I was listening to all the other ex-Mormon YouTubers 
And I was like literally consuming like hours of ex-Mormon content every day. And I was like, why isn't anybody talking about this? And I started sending messages on Instagram to them. And I was like, talk about stages of faith, talk about stages of faith. And none of them would. And so one day I was like, I'll just do it. I will just make the stages of faith video. And so really that's like, in the shortest way I can put it, that's like why my channel exists is because nobody would make a goddamn, wait, can I swear? Sure. <laughs> but nobody would make a James Fowler video. And he was the most helpful part of me. Like reading stage four and stage four basically says like, you start to realize that you're not in a box anymore and you were in a box and the people who are still in a box tell you that you're regressing psychologically and they say that you're falling back and that uh like and the fact that they think that about you is proof that you're actually not and i felt so relaxed after i read that and i started <laughs> sharing it with all my other friends who were kind of in a similar situation and uh yeah so i thought if no one's going to make this video i'll make this video and then more thoughts started coming and then i just upload when i when I think of things. So, yeah. That's cool. So is that the first one? I don't know if I've seen that one. Maybe I have. It's uh, called, it's, it's happily like the best video, like in terms of numbers, people like it all of a sudden exploded like two weeks ago, but it's just called leaving the Mormon church. And then it just, it's like 20 minutes. And it's just like going through each, I literally like put up a PowerPoint <laughs> and read them. yeah and just That's talk cool. about how that was how I went through those stages and what stage I'm I haven't yet gone through and all that stuff but so okay this is this is where I'm at with that I I like the stages of faith there's a lot of truth to it I can see it I feel it I've experienced it right yeah my one my one problem that I have with the idea of it being a linear progression yeah. and me being on stage four when my family's on like stage three or two or something like that makes me seem like I've no, I, I think you can go through this without leaving the church, I guess is what I'm trying to say. I think people do go through these um, faith transitions, but they remain a uh, practicing Mormon. Like they, that's where they end up. I agree and, with you. And so just because someone is a member, it doesn't necessarily mean they're like behind me or something, I guess. In fact, they probably are plenty of people that are practicing Latter-day Saints that are way ahead of me. <laughs> right. So anyway, no, that's, just, that's one thought that I had as you were talking. But. I've had that same thought. I think that different people take a different process to get through all of the stages. I mean, it does say in the stages, a lot of people won't make it past stage three. That's part of stage three. Um, and the, I guess my best case for why leaving Mormonism was necessary for me is it didn't feel like I could continue to progress within the yes. church. Yeah, for but sure. But th there are people... I, I yeah. think it's a, a self-awareness thing. Like when I was Mormon, I was, a I w personally, I was a very blind Mormon. Like I was just, I'm not going to look at anything that's outside of what I'm supposed to look at. I'm just going to do my thing. And I would have never progressed past stage three 
just being who I am. But I think that some people can have the self-awareness and kind of arrive at this place of like, how much does it matter how literally true any of this is? Does it make me a better person? Does it put me on a path that I want to be on? And then that's their awakening moment and they move on from there and they remain in the church. I don't think that there's a problem with that. I think there is a tendency within ex-Mormonism, if we want to call it that, to think that the only way to make it all the way through the stages is to leave the church. And I don't think that's true. Right. Well, and like you said, I think I have a similar kind of personality where I don't think I could have been, I don't think I could have gotten to where I am. Even in a, I, I would even say, I would use the word spiritual, like, and spiritually, I don't think I could have got where I am um, and remained in the church. I just don't think I could have. Uh, right. I think there's certain personalities struggle with that. Not that someone else couldn't. I just, or maybe it made it faster. I don't know. Yeah. So anyway, so where do you, do you feel like you've landed now then? Do you feel like you're pretty stable and um, I don't know, like. for me the faith crisis part of it was really it was disorienting I guess is a good way to put it and so I just curious if you feel like you've landed or do you feel like you're still finding the ground or do you feel like this is going to be just a lifelong journey that (laughs) there will never be stable again (laughs) um I right now I've I've had to re-articulate what I've had to give new definitions to all of the old words So like faith has to mean something new to me now. Sin has to mean something new to me now. God has to mean something new to me. Like I had to give all of those words new definitions that I'm okay with because religious language is so helpful. And like, I don't remember who said this, but somebody said, I was listening. I listen to way too many podcasts. So I have like way too many like voices, you know, but um, somebody said, I noticed that whenever people were talking about serious problems, their language became more and more religious, like issues with family issues of life and death. Like it all became more like vague, you know, and you start to like, I don't know if I've been the person that I want to be. I don't know what comes after. Like it all, it all zooms out and it all becomes very religious. And so like it's helpful language, but when God only means a man-shaped bearded thing who lives on co-co with a body of flesh and bones with a yeah but no blood but flesh and you know what I mean like when yep. God only means that to you it's not a helpful definition I mean it's not a helpful definition and I feel like modern day atheists kind of have too much of a heyday like ripping that apart and it's easy and it's fun to watch when you're in that mindset, but it's like, you look at what they tore apart and it's like, yeah, you tore apart like the worst definition of God ever. Of course you won that debate. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, why are you patting yourself on the back? Yeah. And so like, I like this idea of like, could I, could I steal man God and give a new definition that still works for me for now? And that is like, if I could personify my family's best interests over the course of my lifetime, that's the God that I will serve. And so like, that's still like, I guess it's still using the word God and it's still like dictating my behavior in relationship to some sort of personified being, but it's way more than that now. Yeah. Because I gave it something, you know? 
Mm-hmm. So I feel like I had to do that in order to not feel disoriented and lost anymore. Yeah, I, um, I'm very heavily influenced by Jordan Peterson, and he talks a lot about God. Believing in God is something more like believing in the goodness of being. Like it's mm-hmm. even that, because life can be really, really tragic. Um, for a lot of people and the fact that you will still participate in the game and not just either give up or go to destroy stuff just to destroy stuff yeah. like that is um, that is believing in God is believing the goodness of existing existence right right and that's that's about as defined as I can get to it almost feels like too once you define it you can tear it down <laughs> it's true so it's true. I have this weird definition that um, like enlightenment is the process by which things go from undefined and inexplicit to explicit and defined. Like the more you do that to everything in your life, the more enlightened you are. And so like, for me, it feels necessary to like I'm going to give it the wrong definition at first, but like I can work with a rough draft. I can't work with like a cloud, That's you know, true. like a direction is like, yeah, even a direction is a great start. It's like, okay, North, you know, like it's somewhere over here. At least I know that. And so like, for me, it's been helpful to just like, what is sin? Like sin is to fall short of something that I said I should do. Like I wrote, so you can tell, fun... right? You can tell yourself. Yeah, you can tell. Totally. Right? Totally. I did this experiment. I'm working on a video for this, but I did this experiment where I was like, okay, like Jordan Peterson wrote his 12 rules for life. And then he wrote another 12, whatever, like how, who knows how many rules this guy has, but like, what if I wrote my, however many rules there are, like, what if I made my life as, as intentional and explicit as I possibly could? And so I just, I don't even know what came over me. I was in like a very like meditative, quiet state. And I just like busted out like 15 rules that are like, this is how I think I should live my life. And one of them was uh, define failure early enough to prevent it. And so it's like, if you can't at least say the rough draft, then you don't even know what failing is anymore. And then you don't even know if you've succeeded. And so it... Mm. And that was one of the latest one. Like, I think that was one of the last ones that I came up with, but it was like that one. And then what I did was then I wrote down, okay, so let's define failure. Like what, what would a successful life for me in the next two years look like? And then now that I've written it down, I know if I've made it or not. And then it becomes more of like a smart goal. If you want to yeah, think about it more that way. And not that you're afraid to fail, right? Like ex Morgan, she would, she would tell you, Hey, it's okay to try and fail. Right. Right. I don't know why I was writing out this outline and I just thought it'd be interesting. Like the difference of the things that you're, you were scared, most scared about when you were practicing Latter-day Saint versus now, what are you most scared about? Mm. Is it, how has that changed? Or are you not scared about, or has the fear level come down? Has it gone up? Has it just been changed into different places? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I don't know what my biggest fear was in Mormonism. I kind of operated on like a, everything will be made right in the end. Yeah. And so like, there's not that much to worry about as long as you try. And that, I think that's a healthy way to look at things. 
I, I feel like my biggest fear now that I'm whatever I am <laughs> is <laughs> hard to define. Uh, it is hard to define um, coming from me who believes in defining everything. Um, no, I think, I think that wasting time is like right up, like spending my time on the wrong stuff mm-hmm. is probably the thing that scares me the most. Like, because time isn't the the eternal consistent thing that I thought it was. Like, yeah. maybe it is. I don't actually know that it's not. But like, what if there's nothing, you know? Like, then what? You know, <laughs> I, I spent eight hours a day at a job. You know what I mean? Like, and then an hour before that of driving, like, what am I... What am I spending my most valuable currency on that terrifies me Hmm. that I could wake up one day and be 50 years old and have given 20 years to something that I, that I, I don't get back. There's this, um, there's this amazing comedian. uh, um, His name's James Acaster. I'm like the only guy in America who likes him. And um, he has this joke where he's leaving a movie and he, he he's like it was a long movie and i hear somebody in the crowd a few people over from me says oh there's two hours of my life i'm not getting back and he says i don't know if you guys know this but every hour of your life is an hour that you're not getting back (laughs) and he like jumps into this whole thing about it but it's like yeah we don't get any of it back at all that's that's terrifying yeah that's interesting I, i i can relate to that a little bit um I remember when I had the realization as everything was collapsing and I realized, oh, this means that the afterlife might be not a thing. If all of this stuff is not a thing, then afterlife might not be a thing. And I remember thinking, holy shit, I need to get my act together now then. Like it was like, so it made the time that I have a little bit more sweet because it was like, this is it. And so, yeah. And I was motivated for a couple of (laughs) weeks. (laughs) <laughs> but I don't know incremental progress isn't sexy but it is uh I think it's the key for me but it um, is progress yeah yep and and the other thing is too sometimes you don't feel like you're progressing and you don't realize that if you weren't trying to progress you can fall into a pit <laughs> like you can fall right. even lower so sometimes progress might just look like maintaining I mean that's just life. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's um, like we operate in these diff we operate in two landscapes. It's like the physical world and then like the psychological world. Um, we were talking earlier for a second, just on whatever about John Verveke, how mm-hmm. he's amazing. And um, in, I think it's episode five of his like escaping the meaning crisis, but I could be wrong about that. I think it's a couple of them before that, but he talks about how the word for psyche was originally like the thing that moves. That was like the Greek root of that word was like the thing that moves itself Mm -hmm. and how we use that word today to refer to the mind, which is the thing, the only thing in you that's capable of moving itself, everything moves because of the mind. And so it's like, we're operating in this physical world where we have to go out and we have to do things, but then we're also maintaining some sort of momentum up here. And even if all you're doing is holding your ground mentally, I think that that's a huge step because 
if you consider the fact that like the way that you filter the world and the way that you see the world determines the way that you act, even just like spending a few minutes every day scrubbing the filter changes reality for you in a very real way way. So I don't think it's, it's not nothing, you know, yeah. like there's a lot of work there. And like, I was listening to, I love a Andrew Huberman. I don't know if you listen to him a lot, but he's a neuroscientist who has a podcast. And um, he was just talking about how, like, he was talking about the benefits of like cold exposure, like taking cold baths or cold showers or stuff like that. And he, and he said something about like, if you do this every day, it primes you to just be in a better mood for the rest of the day. And I got thinking about like, okay, if I were in a 5% better mood every day, like, would I capitalize on more opportunities? You know what I mean? Like yeah. how, how much could 5% change my life if I was just in a slightly better mood every day? So I don't think it's like a small thing to hold your mental ground at all. I think it's, I think it's wild how, how many of those things we probably don't even think about, but we should. Yeah. Well, and that, the way I put it a lot is it takes, you have to be intentional about getting into cold water. Like you have to be paying attention to what you're doing. Cause you don't just like do that on autopilot. <laughs> no. And so I think, I think shaking yourself out of autopilot is what is helpful. It, it helps you make sure that you're really going where you want to go and you're not being pulled by uh, John Verveke, um, I think I put it at the very beginning of the episode I did with him, but he said something when I interviewed him and he's just like, I mean, you can either be intentional about where you're going or you can be pulled by people that don't care about you, like people trying to sell you stuff or uh, an employer trying to get the most out of you or family members that are taking advantage of you, whatever it is, like you can either be paying attention or other people will dictate where you're going to go. Like, yeah, there's no, there's not really a choice about whether you're going to, there's no choice. You, someone's going to decide it's either you or somebody else. So, right. I don't know. Um, but yeah, so I guess one thing I wanted to talk about um, a, a little bit was speaking of John Verveke, like where do you feel like, I feel like that's what religion's for, right? Is to gain wisdom. Yeah. Um, and I'm not sure, like if you ask someone, where do you go for wisdom? Like, I don't know. How do you answer that? Where do you go for wisdom? Um, I don't know. There's the old, I don't know. There's the old Louis C.K. joke that's like, a six-year-old garbage man knows more about life than a 24-year-old with three PhDs. Like he just, he's been through more. He's just seen more like, but I don't think it's an old thing. Mm -hmm. I don't think you have to be old to be wise. I think there's, I mean, religion seems like the place, but the religion that I left wasn't making me wiser. It What's felt like... Yes and no. I felt like I got it, but then I also was distracted with this autopilot, be good churchgoer. And that yeah. was an autopilot thing. That was not a spiritual thing for me. That was a a very, uh, what's the word for it? I feel like uh, there's a word I use, legalistic. It was very legalistic. 
my church yeah. experience was not spiritual as legalistic. Mm-hmm. Um, I do feel like there were church lessons, for example, that I did get wisdom from. I had aha moments during church lessons, right? Like of just insight. Um, and I, I think, you know, doing it once a week is better than not at all. Yeah. Well, okay. So I'll challenge you a little bit because I know that you and I went to different wards (laughs) and uh, I don't know who was in your ward, but whenever I had an aha moment, it was like, oh, so this like a priori assumption that you've told me to have does make sense. If I look at it through this window, like it was never me thinking freely in a in a field surrounded by nothing it was always like if you look through this lens there are connections that you can make mm, and those I'm, not were, sure, those... I'm not sure i'm following you so i feel like my aha moments were figuring out ways that their logic made sense it was never me looking through no filters at all and i still don't know that i'm looking through no filters at all but i feel like Whenever I was like, oh, it works like this, I was always using their logic and their rules. Mm. Like, I don't think that I was ever questioning the foundations of their logic or their rules. And so I don't know to what degree those aha moments were truly aha, if that makes sense. And the other, I mean. Well, here's, I guess, an example I can give. Yeah. So when we were talking earlier, about how it can feel like you're going nowhere, but you're it actually takes effort to just maintain, right? Yeah. I feel like that while we were talking about that, I, I couldn't help but think about church lessons about your testimony. Like your testimony might not feel like it's growing, but you have to do stuff to maintain it. Mm-hmm. Like, and I, I feel like there are just these true things that map onto lots of different parts of your life. And I I do feel like that was there at church, I guess. I do think there was wisdom there. Um, I can think of other things of like uh, another one is in the Book of Mormon. They talked a lot about, um, at least in seminary, we talked a lot about the pride cycle. Mm -hmm. That seems to be a true thing. Like, yeah. So, so, there there are true things that like when you when you map it on to what's going on in your life it can be helpful if that makes sense yeah yeah i'm with you so some of the some of the aha moments that i had were like oh moroni the angel traveled through wormholes because like that those were the types of oh, things oh interesting that I, so i was like trying to make sense in this like scientific way how is it that like if God operates under the laws of physics that he created in an apologetic way? Yes. Yes. Ah, these were my aha moments. So that's why I say like I was operating through their framework, which makes me think now, like, why does it matter how like he's an angel, he can do whatever he wants. But at the time it was very important to me that like I had taken an astronomy class. I had learned about like what a wormhole is. And I was like, well, like if Moroni is going to suddenly appear in Joseph's bedroom from heaven, then what what happened there to make that work? So these are the types of like thing. I wasn't learning life lessons. It needed I remember to be scientifically true because you were like, uh, I don't believe in supernatural stuff. So this has got to be some way scientifically true. Kind of I thing. felt like I felt like Mormonism was like this crazy science fiction where it was like 
because it has to be under like according to whatever i don't even remember where i learned this but i'm sure many mormons will agree with me uh that god has to operate under the laws that he set up right that's yes. why mormons believe that like or maybe that he didn't god, even set up but that existed before that, him. that pre-existed him exactly yeah. but that's why god and mary had to actually like have sex to have jesus right like that's so ingrained in this mormonism like in this ideology and so whenever i was having aha moments it was justifying something that seemed outlandish huh. that i could now put words to where it sounds like you were actually learning helpful life lessons in seminary <laughs> which would <laughs> which would have been great for me but um no i mean like the pride cycle checks out like i'm a fan i'm there with it it doesn't right. matter what names you put on the people in the story in my opinion, to be like, yeah, this checks out. Like you could put the bride cycle on breaking bad right. and just be like, yeah, it's true. <laughs> right. I don't know what to tell you. Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. Solutions, solutions. We talked about John Verveke and the meaning crisis. Do you feel like that's out there? Is it something that people need to be aware of? Um, what are solutions to it that you found in your life? Maybe, um, solutions to the meaning crisis for you individually like if it is if there's a meaning crisis what alleviates that i think it's a top down it's a top down thing you have to so the way that i've the way that i usually try and talk about like meaning in life is um if you are if you are a car in Google Maps and you have your destination that's typed into the top that you're navigating towards, uh, that map now makes sense because it has a focus and you have an aim. But without without a destination that you've picked, uh, every right turn is the same as the last right turn. And every Starbucks that you pass is equally as unimportant as the last one that you passed. And it's just a big ocean of blah, like it doesn't seem helpful. And so <laughs> there's also, I don't remember who said this, but it was probably Norm MacDonald, but it's something like if you, no, it wasn't Norm now that I think about it. If you want to care about a sport, bet $500 on a game. <laughs> Suddenly you'll care about the sport. You know what I mean? And uh, it's a very, um, oh, who did either or Kierkegaard. It's a very like Kierkegaardian bet where it's like, I don't know, like he had this whole, I need to back up because I'm rambling at the moment. Kierkegaard thought that you could only have, a, there was like a, a meaningful life and, a, and an aesthetic life. And I'm messing up the name of the meaningful life, but the one that you don't want to live is an aesthetic life. And that's more of like, a, I guess what I'll just redefine it right now and say like, you can live life, life for the essence of life or you can live life for the appearance of the essence of life, essentially. And the mm -hmm. only and you only have one chance to make a choice between the two that you're going to live, and you're betting your whole life on it, and you won't know till the end. It's a very leap of faith, Kierkegaardian thing, where it's like, am I going to bet my whole life on this right now? Like, am I going to bet $500 on this game that I know nothing about? You know what I mean? And the... The thing that maybe the grace in all of that, the thing that I've heard Jordan Peterson talk about a lot is you get to change your bet 
as you as you align yourself with whatever your goal is going to be, you can say, I was I was wrong there. I'm actually going to move it a little bit over here. And so it's not as cut and dry as Kierkegaard would make it seem. Mm -hmm. But um, he wrote a book called Either Or, and it's all in there. And it's been way too long since I've even looked at that book. But um, but like we have this amazing gift, which is we get to throw a goal out there. We get to throw some spaghetti at the wall and then we get to test it out in the real world. And then we can adjust based on that. And I think the only answer to a life that doesn't seem to have any meaning or a life that maybe somebody would like to be more meaningful is like, maybe I could aim at something that would, that I think would be valuable given all my current biases and all my current, like all the past ways that I've seen the world and all the ways that I've been taught to see the world, I'll just set a good game based on that. And if it's wrong, I'll change it. And if it's right, I'll leave it, you know, or I'll, I'll adjust less, but I don't think there's a way, I don't think there's a way to answer this meaning crisis without, I mean, I know that John Verveke did like 50 episodes on this. So like, <laughs> I should probably have a better answer than like, you just have to bet no, something. No, I really like, like I really like game. what you just said. I really like how you said that. Um, how just make your best. That's what faith is. Like, I know yeah. this step I'm taking is probably not the best step I could be taking, but I got to move. I want right. to move. And by moving, you get more information and you can fine tune it and you can right. hopefully get closer. It's interesting too, how your intuition works, where I really like how uh, Jordan Peterson put is whether you feel like, see how you feel when you say something. And if it makes you feel stronger, then you're probably on the right track. And if it makes you feel weaker, then it probably doesn't. And um, that that was what was starting to bother, bother me toward the end of my practicing Latter-day Saint stuff is I felt weak when I was trying to pretend I believed something I didn't. Hmm. And I was trying to claim with the certainty that it seemed like I should be getting to with, you know, my life experience, like you should be getting a stronger testimony, not a, like a weaker testimony, right? And that... I wanted to start saying what I actually thought, which was, I don't believe in supernatural stuff. Like I kind of think James Randi is right. And I think when you don't look at a James Randi way of thinking of things, then you can get um, con men and you can get um, all of, you know, you can get those types of people taking advantage of you in your life. And so, mm -hmm. um, yeah, like it just, it leaves up and room for self-deception too like if you believe in um anyways now i i feel like intuition is a really great way to know how to act it doesn't tell you it doesn't i don't believe it can tell me about the objective world like i don't think it can tell me which church is true but i right. do think it can tell me which church to go to so i really don't have a problem with mormons saying hey i feel like this is where i'm supposed to be i'm like okay I think that you're probably right. You know you better than me. <laughs> yeah. But but anyways, uh, no. no, that's that's totally. I mean, I was I had a conversation with my brother the other day who was like, he was wondering why I was doing some of the things that I was doing outside of a Mormon context, and I just told him like, I got this voice in my head, <laughs> and I try not to do the things that it tells me not to do, and I try to do the things that it tells me to do. And is that the Holy Ghost? 
I don't know. Does it matter what it's called? I don't think so. Right. <laughs> Essentially, like whether it's a conscience or whether it's like a thing that God gave me or something in between those two, I don't think it actually matters. Right. I kind of wanted to get into nihilism a little bit. You could probably jump into some nihilism. Um, first of all, what is it? Do you have a good way to define what it is? If I were to define what it is, it's just that realization. If you're living in a completely materialistic, deterministic world, then nothing matters. Like, yeah, it's just that, that idea that, that nothing matters. Um, who cares what I choose today because it's insignificant in the grand scheme of things. And ultimately if we just blow up in the heat of the sun in, you know, whatever million years, then so what, what's the point? Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, why aim, why even aim, why even play why, this yeah. game that is so hard for so many people? Yeah. I think the, I don't remember the exact words, but the way that, Tolstoy puts it in um, a confession. He basically says, "Like, what, what will be left as evidence that I was here? Like, uh, of the evidence that I was here, you know, like, what will be left of my thoughts? What will be left of my intentions? Like, they disappear the moment I do. So, like, what's the point of even having those? And it's a dark, like." I mean, he carries the thing about nihilism that's so wild is like, and if you haven't read that book, like it's a two hour audio book on YouTube and it's amazing. But um, he basically- It's actually like, on my to-do list because I watched your last video. It's a great audio book. And the fact that it's free on YouTube is insane. But uh, what he says about it is just like, it, it tells the story of how- he like logically agreed with all of these nihilistic thoughts. And the conclusion that that brought him to was if life is just a thing that doesn't matter when I'm gone and it only causes suffering with brief moments of joy while I'm here, then the most heroic thing I could do is to end life and to end my life. And so like he goes through this period of his life where he's like afraid to be alone with a gun like he's afraid to be alone with a rope because he thinks that he may end everything and he realizes that even if that's as logically true as he can put it from a materialistic slant it's the least helpful way that he could possibly choose to live it's offering him nothing from like a positive practical frame of reference he's miserable he's terrified he thinks very little of everybody it's just like the wrong way to live and so it's kind of a like the whole book is like what if it doesn't matter how much this is literally true and i think that's like a that's like a james fowler <laughs> that's like a whole like how much does it matter if any of it's literally true like I think of like when do you ever have like those moments where your imagination is going crazy? Like maybe you like, oh man, I have this problem in my house. And then before you know it, your brain is like coming up with a way to solve that problem. And you're like, what the hell is going on up here? It's like a clump of ground beef, like this big. It weighs like eight pounds. And somebody plugged it into an electrical socket and it's just throwing pictures at me. 
Like that's insane. Uh, it does it with my podcast all the time. I have all of these really <laughs> great ideas of stuff that I could create and conversations I could create. And then I never get to the email to like actually email the people that would need to be involved in that project. <laughs> <laughs> so no, yes, yeah. I know exactly what that is. And you just sit there and you're like, how is this happening inside my brain right now? No one will ever see what's going on up here. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I don't know. It's very weird. And uh, yeah, there would be nothing left. Like if I were to, if I were to somehow die in like the next week, there would be just like millions of things going on up here that nobody ever found out about. That would be like, almost as if I was never around, but then it's like, well, if you live like that, then you'll live the most depressing, sad life that you've ever lived. And uh, yeah, it's just, it doesn't, at the end, it doesn't add up. Yeah. It, um, I'm trying to think of, there were some, there's some moments that I've had that have kind of alleviated me. I was I was definitely in like this new atheist mindset where I was just like newly kind of taking on this thing where I'm like, yeah, I'm an atheist. That's not a big deal. And it didn't serve me well. Um, and I had this moment and not that you can't call yourself self an atheist and do what I'm about to say, like, it's fine to use whatever label you want, but I just don't, I don't see myself as an atheist because of that mindset it's it's almost synonymous with nihilism in my head and maybe that's mm -hmm. not true maybe that's not the right way to look at it but anyways i i had this moment where i let myself believe that or just feel maybe is a better word it's not even a belief it's just a, realiz a realization that i am where i'm supposed to be and see if you don't think anything matters how can you be supposed to be any how, how are you supposed to be anywhere if there is no meaning to anything. And, and I, I had to actually let myself believe it. I did. I fought myself. Like I, I always have arguments with myself inside my head. Like I, I've always got a skeptic in there. And so that was one moment in my life where I felt like that alleviated the nihilism a lot, where I just said, you know what, I'm where I'm supposed to be. So yeah, I've had that same thing happen. That's like, that's a religious experience, right. you know, that's, it doesn't have to be it doesn't, it almost doesn't have to make sense to somebody else. Right. That's what I liked about um, the, one of the things that I mentioned in my Tolstoy video. And one of the things that he says in that story is like, all of this made sense to me in the way that a dream makes sense. Yeah. And that's, that's all it has to be. I don't know what a dream is. That could mm. be a whole, you know what I mean? That could be <laughs> a know. whole thing. But like, when you're in a dream, you're like, oh, I'm at my ex-girlfriend's house. And nobody ever says that. And the whole time you're there, you're like, that's where I was. And then you wake up and you try and explain it to somebody. And you're like, yeah, so you were there. And there were a whole bunch of raccoons. And we were at like this person's house. And they're like, how did you did know you, you were there? See? Yeah. And it's like, did I you even know. see the raccoons? Or was it just like felt that they were there? Like, right. Dreams are so weird. Yeah. And so like I've I've had that same thing where I was I was at like a family dinner. This was this was after I was comfortable with the fact that I had left the church. And my son was like six months old, probably. 
And we're at this dinner on a Sunday, like a dinner at a restaurant on a Sunday, which I would never do as a Mormon. And I had just had, like I ordered a gin and tonic or something and everybody's sitting around the table and we're all talking. And I just had this thing wash over me as I'm like holding my kid drinking alcohol on a Sunday, you know? And I'm like, this is perfect. This is, ex- this is exactly how it should be. Yes. And it was that same thing where like, I am where I'm supposed to be. And I think, so I've, I've put a lot of thought into that moment. Cause that's like, for me, that's like an atoning moment. Like that's a moment when I realized that my life, all the ups and all the downs were justified in and of themselves. I was at least in that zero. And like, it, it gave me a lot of perspective about like, why wouldn't we have a myth or a story about a guy who was so good that he justified it for everyone? And like, isn't it a helpful belief to think that we can at least justify ourselves? Like, I don't have a problem with that as a mythological story. I just, I don't think that you have to think that it's literal to find it meaningful, I guess. Well, actually... The way that Jordan Peterson talks about Jesus never Mm -hmm. crossed my mind until I started listening to him. Mm. Like it was all about the sacrifice and that Jesus did the sacrifice for me. Not I'm supposed to take on the sacrifice on my shoulders and be like him. Mm. I never, that would be sacrilegious almost. Yeah. So, but I think that's more helpful to me than thinking that for some reason he had to do it for me. (laughs) Yeah. Like so. we we were supposed, the reason that's a popular story is because we're supposed to imitate it and learn from it, not because our debts are paid. Right. Thanks. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. That's almost more sacrilegious if you think about it. Yeah. To be like, hey, thanks. You gave everything and yeah. you were God. So <laughs> thank <ya>. you. Yeah. <laughs> Have a good one. Yep. Um. Yeah, I think other things that alleviate that is kind of back to the first part of our conversation and just, you know, paying attention to where you are, being in the moment, shutting down the autopilot every once in a while, intentionally breaking up my routine, um, turning off YouTube, (laughs) Uh, finding my aims, paying attention to them and getting closer to them. Yeah, I think everyone has to sit with themselves for some time and figure out where they're going. like. I think you feel better when you do that and you map that out. Yeah. I, so an illustration that's been so helpful to me that I thought of as you were like recapping was this, like the similarities between being in the moment and like the Jesus on the cross. Like I, I listened to, I'm sure most ex-Mormons have been through like their Eckhart Tolle Buddhism phase. Yeah. But um, if you haven't go through it, it's fun. (laughs) (laughs) But he said something that was interesting where he says the, the cross. So Eckhart Tolle is all about being in the moment and John Verbeke would probably call that flow. And like the illustration of the cross is perfect for this because it's like where the the time line intersects with the moment line. And if you could really be there, I, I think of it as like some moments you're super present. And so like 
maybe have you I'm sorry, I'm gonna I'm gonna ramble for just a second because yeah. I have to give a little more context. But so Carl Jung had this saying that I loved that said a tree can only touch heaven if its roots touch hell. Mm. And so you have to have like a like a strong current there, or you have to have like you really have to have something substantial to touch heaven and go all the way to hell. And that's like a that's human life. Like it goes all the way up and it goes all the way down. And the cross motif is cool for that because it's so much longer this way than it is this way that it's like very short moment, very deeply felt. That's the way I think about it. And so mm. when Eckhart Tolle talks about being in the moment and meditating, and when John Verveke talks about flow, like losing yourself in the moment, I think of those moments as like evidence of the fact that your life is at least right now meaningful. Like yeah. you are right now, there's there's proof that you are feeling that you can't explain. It only makes sense in the way that dreams make sense that you have somewhat atoned for everything prior. Like you're good, you're there, you know what mm. I mean? And if you could live a life where you were there as much as possible, then you've lived a Christ-like life. And it doesn't matter what religion you slap on your chest and what you call yourself and what labels you give yourself at that point. It doesn't even matter if you refer to it as Christ. It's a life that was well-lived, that was deeply felt, that mattered at least to you. And like... I don't know. That's, I don't, I would have never arrived at that conclusion if I had stayed Mormon. Right. And so I had to get out of there, but other people arrive at conclusions that are just as good for them and they stay Mormon and that doesn't bother me. Right. Now that's really cool. There's another, that idea of um, the way, you know, mm -hmm. and how that's kind of what that just, that, that idea of just that, perfect balance and you don't even you don't know where it's at it's like that aim part again you don't exactly know what the way is but you're yeah. aiming for it and it moves and it's evasive I almost think of it like trying to stay on the peak of a mountain that's like perfectly pointy so that you can't ever really stay at the the at the crest of the mountain you have to, you're, you're falling down the side a lot and you're trying to climb up back up to the top but but I think if you develop your habits and stuff like that, it can make the mountains a little less steep, I think. But yeah, I think there are things that you can do in your life that, yeah, make it possible to be in that moment more often. And that's yeah, what I think wisdom definitely. is. Yeah. But anyways, when you were talking earlier about how nobody's talking about the stages of faith, like there are, I'm trying to think of the name of the podcast now. It's in the same Mormon discussion family, uh, almost awakened. Um, mm. Britt Hartley has some kind of on you, kind of similar to yours, where she talks about uh, the Gulag Archipelago and stuff like that. So oh, okay. there's definitely it's definitely out there, but it's it's weird because it's it's definitely not at the forefront, even though it seems to be at the forefront of everybody's thought. Like right, yeah. like everybody I... goes through that phase, this nihilistic phase, this like trying to find meaning in your life phase but yeah i don't hear a lot of people any a lot of the yeah. popular ones saying it anyway but maybe that's why they're popular is because they're not saying it i don't know 
I think so. I mean, it's way sexier to talk about a thing that Joseph Smith did that makes him a bad person. Right. Unfortunately. Right. And that that is true of humanity. Well, it's like <laughs> going just, way back. It's the yeah. politics of ex-Mormonism, right? Yeah. Like it's yeah. similar to our like politics. Like you do have a few people that are trying to gain common ground between on, in politics and trying to be fair and stuff. And there's tons of like little news outlets that are trying to start out, but they're not getting the clicks. Yeah. Like it, the tribal stuff is getting the clicks. So yeah, I don't know how to solve that problem. I think about I it all the time. You and I will solve it. <laughs> I think about it all the time. I'm like, there's gotta be a way. Maybe that's what, what you're supposed to do with your 10% is you're supposed to give that away to someone that you're not, clicking on you know what i mean mm. so that you have you could have the news outlet that is funded by 10 percent because you trust them and they're doing the right yeah. thing not because they're telling you what you want to hear right but anyways yeah it's a tough situation yeah that's a tough nut to crack but i mean i like where you're headed with it <laughs> i think i think about it a lot because it you have to fund people to make it worth their time and yeah. it's worth their time if they get more clicks and it's just clicks pay. It's not a good model though. <laughs> yeah. I think, truth. um, well, Morgan <laughs> sent me something that was like audience capture. She sent me this yeah. cool video. Yeah. I mean, after school, I think it, did one on audience capture. Yeah, yeah. No, it was, it was after school, but it makes me think, have you watched black mirror? Black no. mirror is a Netflix series. Every episode is different. For those who have seen Black Mirror, this will make perfect sense to them. But like the 15 million merits episode, you just watch that with your husband because it doesn't matter what season it's in. Every episode is different okay. and the characters change. So it doesn't matter which one you watch. But I don't want to give away the ending. But I mean, 15 million merits. It's I don't know. I want to I want to explain why it makes sense. But then I'll ruin the episode for you. <laughs> But for everybody watching, go watch 15 Million Merits and then remember this one part of the conversation and then, <laughs> then you'll, know what I was, you'll know what I was trying to say. Yeah, That's awesome. It's a great series. It's legitimately a great series. So yeah. don't watch the first episode. Okay, I'll watch. I'll have to look it up then. 15 Merits? Is that what you said? 15 Million Merits. 15 Million Merits. That's yeah. was off by a few million. You were off by, yeah, exactly. Uh I don't know how many, 14 yeah. million and something minus 15. That's right. Yeah. Well, this has been fun. We'll have to do something again. I've been wanting, so one of, maybe people can leave comments and tell me what they think about this. If it's worth my time. I want to do more stuff that is maybe crossing the difference divides of things. So it'd be interesting to get on maybe some more liberal people and conservative people at the same time and having a conversation or somewhere, uh, someone that's practicing Latter-day Saint and then a post-Mormon at the same time. I haven't tried that yet. And that's something I've been wanting to do. I feel like I know someone from all the quadrants. Like I know mm. liberal active people. I know liberal inact like ex-Mormons. And then I know conservative ex-Mormons and I know, um, conservative mormons too so and then there's the whole spectrum of where you could be there <laughs> right Just, I, I, I don't necessarily feel like i have to talk about politics it's just it's in our lives everywhere and so right. um 
I don't know. You, you can't, you can't escape it, I guess. Yeah. But I, I worry like it's becoming I try like the to new have God a for healthy, people. <laughs> it is, it's becoming a new religion. And so I worry like to what degree my relationship with politics is healthy, which I think it is because I, I at least know that it could be a problem. Right. But it's at least one step in the right direction. <laughs> yeah. I, I was at that point where like politics was becoming my new thing and I had to step way back from that. Yeah. Well, thanks for coming on and we'll end it. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah.